Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Thessalonians chapter number four, first Thessalonians chapter number four. If you didn't get a handout and you want to throw your hand up, uh, they'll get some of those too. I think there's a bigger stack over there. Um, Ricky or Robbie, you want to grab some of those. Um, but if you didn't get one of those, um, I would encourage you to do so. There's, uh, I think it's three pages today. And so uh, anyways, but uh, hopefully it'll be a blessing and a help to you because there are some uh, application questions on the end. And so... Um, that we'll go right along with today's lesson. But 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, we've been in a series going really verse by verse through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and uh, we've entitled it Living in Light of Eternity, Living in Light of Eternity. And so just real quick as some review, um, actually, let's see how much uh, everybody in here pays attention. By the way, it's good to have college students home that have uh, been away from us. I know they'll start to trickle back in. Good to have guests with us today. And so uh, hopefully you feel welcomed. If you didn't get a guest card, um, we'll get one of those to you, and uh, you can fill that out, and we'll shoot you a gift card this week. So I'll make my joke that everybody else has heard that way. If you get nothing else out of today's class, you at least get a gift card, okay? So uh, anyways, but um, it's good to have guests with us, good to have college students back with us, good to have Charlie and Ashley with us today too, and uh, they got married a couple weeks ago, and uh, good to have them back with us uh, and just loading stuff up. Is that what you're doing? Just in for the weekend? Good, good. For now, right? <laughs> um, but anyway, so good to have uh, everybody. And uh, But we've been in First Thessalonians, and so someone talk to me and tell me what was our theme as a church and as a ministry that we established out of First Corinthians. Well, I, I'm not going to tell you where, okay? Someone tell me what was the theme that we established for this year. It's one word. Unmovable. Good job section over here. All right. Not only did you pack out every chair, but you knew the theme. All right. Um, okay. What passage or what specifically what verse is that taken out of? Already. Okay. Someone other than this section. All right. First Corinthians. What? 1558, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so one of the first series that we did as a class is we went through 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and broke it up kind of verse by verse. And we talked about what makes us unmovable. And one of the things that we found in that passage um, and in that chapter was the, the things that make us unmovable are often things that are not of this world, but something that we can look forward to, the, the future, what we have in Christ, what we have in eternity. And so 1 Thessalonians is a book that is written by the Apostle Paul to a young church in Thessalonica. Okay, he's writing this to these Thessalonian Christians and what he's telling them is, okay, here's some stuff that I want to remind you of. I want you to remember to live in light of eternity. And so Paul was only with this church for a short amount of time. And so he's writing back to them because in some ways, and you actually see this come out in the letter, in some ways he's almost worried about the stuff that he didn't get to teach them. And so he's writing back to say, you know what, Jesus is coming again. Don't worry about those that have passed away 
away. Don't keep your eyes on Christ. Keep focused on what is coming in eternity. And so that leads us to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 today as we look at an evaluation of living in light of eternity. An evaluation of living in light of eternity. Or if you want to almost do this, this is our spiritual checkup. This is our spiritual checkup. And so an evaluation of living in light of eternity. Let's read down through the first three verses. We took a break from the series last week, but I think what we talked about last week will perfectly coincide with kind of where we're at in the study this week. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse 1, the Bible says this, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. So you can already hear in his tone that he's begging. He says, I beseech you, I exhort you, brethren. He's talking to Christians. He says, By the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk, and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. So right in verse number one, he gives us his purpose. He says, I'm writing to you so that you will continue to grow. He says, we've taught you how to walk. We've taught you how to please God. I want you to continue growing in that. He says, so you would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God even your sanctification. And then we'll, we won't touch on this. We'll touch on this completely next week. But he says this, that ye should abstain from fornication. That ye should abstain from fornication. And so verse number one, once again, let's read that out loud together. If you're either in your handouts or I'm not sure if they, I don't think they have it up on the screen, but in your handouts or in your Bible, off your phone, whatever. First, First Thessalonians chapter number four, verse one. Let's read it out loud together. Ready, begin. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. So ye would abound more and more. Let's pray and we'll ask the Lord to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word is not a book that wants to leave us as we are. But Lord, you truly want to change us from the inside out. And so today, Lord, I ask you to help many of us in this room to hit the pause button on life for just a second. Lord, to experience what you have for us in this moment. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to take this little checkup, Lord, to go through this checklist and to evaluate where we are at as a Christian and Lord, are we truly ready to live in light of eternity? Lord, are we living as though you could come back at any moment? Lord, I ask that you would give me the words to say. Lord, give me wisdom as I speak. In your name we pray. Amen. I wasn't trying to talk like Big Bird. My nose started itching in the middle of prayer. So if you heard a, t a change of tone, that's because I scratched my nose and I didn't think about that until it made a weird noise. Okay? Um, anyways. There are many things in our life that we stop and we take time to evaluate, don't we? In fact, much of life is just an ongoing evaluation, okay? When you go to buy something, you evaluate your bank account. At least you should, okay? When you go to maybe start dating someone, you evaluate your relationships. You evaluate how things are going with that person. When you go to maybe get a job, you evaluate the amount of stress or the amount of time that you're going to have to put into that. And at sometimes in life, you have this really kind of come to Jesus moment, for lack of a better term, where you take an evaluation of something and you look at it and you don't like it, right? 
You look at your bank account, maybe you're not even trying to make a big purchase, maybe you're just trying to buy a cheeseburger, okay? And you look at your bank account like, oh, can't afford the cheeseburger, guess I'll come back next week, all right? You take an evaluation and sometimes you look in the mirror of a certain area of your life and what you see you don't like. And in that moment, you're confronted with an opportunity to either change or to stay the same. You're confronted with maybe an obstacle to where you can say, okay, I am content living in a financial struggle. I'm content living maybe an unhealthy lifestyle. I'm content with maybe a horrible dating relationship. I'm content or I got to get to the point to where I must change something. And while we'll do that with most of the areas of our life, we'll evaluate our health, we'll evaluate our relationships, we'll evaluate our jobs, we'll evaluate our finances, we'll evaluate many portions of our life. Very rarely do we take the time to stop and look in the mirror of the Word of God and evaluate our Christian life. And when we talk about living in light of eternity, let me just go ahead and tell you that we as human beings that live in 2021 don't naturally default to living in light of eternity. Culture and everything in our society pushes us really away from that. It says to live for the here and the now. It says to live for what matters. It says to live for yourself. It says to live to make money. It says to live to do this. It says whatever, okay? And so we don't naturally default to just having our eyes focused on Christ, having our minds focused on eternity, and just saying that nothing in this world matters, nothing's going to shake me, my trust and my faith in Christ and in God is too good, and so I'm not going to be bothered by the things of this world. That's not naturally what we lean toward. Last week, we closed the, really the thought on really what's on your mind, and I gave three points, and maybe if you didn't get a chance to be here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. We just plugged the notes right into our phone, so hopefully some of you took an evaluation of your thoughts this week. But we talked about guard your thoughts, guide your thoughts, and then gird your thoughts. Gird your mind. Get ready. Go on the offensive. Go on the attack. Begin to win the battle in your mind, Okay? When I made that statement, I closed with number three with gird your thoughts by focusing on God. And here's to the way that most Christians live. Most Christians live a life to where they cannot focus on God because they are distracted by the anxiety, the discouragement, the stress that they're experiencing in this current life. And here's the way that I want you to reframe your thinking. What if we began to live our lives to where our focus on God is what distracted us from the stress and the pressures that we face in this life? And sadly, I guarantee you that if you went and you looked at the behaviors and the habits that you've developed, most of them are a a remedy to escape the things that you're experiencing in this life. But what if our focus on God was what distracted us? And the only way that we do that is as we begin to step back and we begin to say, I want to live with something more important in mind. If you've found this life to be empty and lacking and shallow, then it could very well mean, and this is a thought from C.S. Lewis, that you weren't intended for this life. And so what we've got to step back and see is that if this life that we that we, everyone tries to act like is so great and so fun and just, oh man, this is everything that I've ever wanted. If this is what everything in our life amounts to, then we are empty, we are shallow, we are lacking, we are missing something. And so in that moment, we have a choice. Am I going to live and be content with just grabbing for everything I can on this earth and grabbing for everything I can in this life? Or could it be that I am confronted with a change that I have to choose whether or not I'm willing to make? 
And in 1 Thessalonians 4, here's what you've got. Paul is writing to these Christians that he's basically trying to reinforce some thoughts to. And he says, I want you to continue growing. I want you to continue getting better. I want you to continue making progress in the Christian life. I want you to abound more and more. And I would dare say that for many of us, we step back and we look at ways to maybe make our finances abound more and more. We look at ways to maybe make our relationships abound more and more. We look at ways to make our success and our jobs and whatever abound more and more. But when was the last time you stopped and you thought for just a second, how can I make my Christian life abound more and more? And so I've got five questions to help us with that. The first one is this, straight out of verse number one. He says, how's your walk? How's your walk? Verse number one says this, Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk. He's talking about a lifestyle. He's talking about, and the biblical word for it is a conversation. He says, does your manner of life, does your walk mimic someone that is walking with God. He says, so as that ye ought to walk. We've all heard our relationship with God and our relationship with Jesus Christ referred to as a walk. One of the things that my wife likes to do when these cool spring nights start to come is, is she likes for our whole family to go on our walk. And really, I think that we're the only two that enjoy it, okay? Uh, maybe Blakely because she's three months old, okay? So she doesn't have a voice to complain about it. But normally, our other children don't like they don't enjoy it and then we tried to like throw in like riding toys like hey you can you can ride something or you can ride your bike or you can ride your scooter the other day we went on a walk in Baylor have you ever seen one of those like stick ponies that you put between your legs and like you like it looks like you're riding something Baylor has a stick unicorn and so we're like hey you can take something on the walk or like and so Braxton's like I want to ride my scooter uh, after he pitched the fit about not wanting to go on a walk and uh, and Baylor goes I want to take this and it's like you do realize that doesn't help you like at all with the walking portion of this, right? Like you're still your feet are still going to hurt because you're just doing the work of riding the stick unicorn. <laughs> don't don't tell them, right? Don't disappoint them. But anyway, so my wife likes to go on a walk and here's what I found. As I was reading through this passage this week, I remembered that most of the good conversations that you have in life are normally surrounded by someone or with someone that you're going in the same direction. Sometimes it actually is on a physical walk, isn't it? We all have these hopes and dreams of having this beautiful romantic walk on the beach with someone that we love. Normally uh, you step on something that you don't like or it stabs you in the foot or whatever. It's not as dreamy as what you make it, okay? But when you're walking with someone, you're going in the same direction. I want you to listen to this for just a second. You cannot have a conversation with someone that you're walking past or walking in the opposite direction. And if your walk with God is lacking, it could very well mean that you are walking in the opposite direction as God and therefore you cannot have a relationship or a conversation with Him. He can't change your life because you are just passing Him. Sometimes in premarital counseling or maybe in marriage books, you'll hear something say that they're, or you'll hear someone say they're just two ships passing in the night. 
Okay? Husbands who work all through the day and then a wife goes to work at night. There are two ships passing in the night. There's not a lot of time for conversation. And the same is true with your walk with God. That if you're just going in the opposite direction, you might have time for a, hey, hello, thank you for all that you've done for me, but you're not going to have a relationship change. You're not going to have a moment to where you step back and you can say, man, my walk with God is really abounding more and more. Why? Because you're going in an opposite direction. You're catching him as he goes this way and he's catching you as you go this way. And so you don't have time to spend with God. And as a result of that, you're not really changing at all. And so how's your walk? First of all, how's your walk? But then secondly, and I want you to see this, is not only how's your walk, but also in verse number one, he says, who or what are you pleasing? Who or what are you pleasing? I want you to look at the beginning of, or at the middle of verse number one. He says this, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk, and then he says this, and to please God. And to please God. Sometimes I think that we undervalue the words of Scripture. I want to give you a verse that you've probably heard. You've probably heard someone say it. But I want to take it and apply it to this, this principle here in this verse. Okay, The Bible says this in Proverbs 13, verse number 12. It says, Only by pride cometh... Can you fill in the blank? Contention. Let's say it one more time. Only by pride cometh... Contention. contention. Meaning this, that if there's contention in your life, there's pride somewhere. If there's contention somewhere in your life, there's pride somewhere. Now, I will give you an out and say that that doesn't always mean that the pride is in your, the ball of pride is in your court, okay? I'll give you an out on that. Sometimes there's contention because there's pride from someone else, okay? But you can guarantee this from Scripture that if there's contention, there's pride somewhere. Meaning this, that how you live your life and who or what you seek to please could either bring you blessings if you are seeking to please God or it could bring you contention if you're seeking to please yourself. Because only by pride cometh contention. Meaning this, that you live the life that pleases you long enough, then eventually there will be contention. You live a life, a selfish life, that is only seeking to please you in a relationship, there will be contention. You seek to fulfill yourself with your finances, and you live a prideful life to where everything that you get is to make you look better, to make you look more successful. You can guarantee that eventually your finances will face contention. You live a life to maybe satisfy some sort of insecurity from your childhood or some sort of thing in your past to where eventually, well, I've got to get this settled. I want everyone to make sure that I'm not that. I want everyone to make sure that I, I am this person or I am who I am. So eventually you do that long enough, there will be contention. Why? Because where there is contention, there is pride. Meaning this. That when we ask the question of who or what are you pleasing, if it is anything outside of God, then you probably have a moment to where you've got some contention in your life. You are seeking to fulfill something in your own life, and therefore, not only are you displeasing God by your lifestyle, but you are fulfilling and giving your life contention because you are seeking to please yourself more than you are your Creator. And so who or what 
are you pleasing? But then thirdly, is not only how's your walk, who or what are you pleasing, but then the third really checklist or portion of this checkup is how's your progress? How's your progress? The other day I was sitting in church and sometimes my mind begins to kind of race during church, probably like many of y'all's are doing right now, okay? Um, like, oh, I wonder if I did this or I want, like, wonder, normally at like 11.42, in church, I'm like, man, what am I hungry for? Anybody else like that? Like, what sounds good to eat? Some of you are like, mm, I wish I'd have gotten one of those apple muffins before he started talking because now I can't go get one, all right? But your mind begins to wonder. And so I was sitting in church and for some reason there was something that was said about kind of progress or growing in grace or something like that. And so it kind of got me thinking. And so I put like, like a couple of dots on my, on my, uh, uh, on my paper. And so I had like a dot down here at the bottom and I had a dot like up here. So basically I had like salvation and then heaven like up here, okay? And so I said like, okay, after salvation, you know, there's baptism, okay? So I put like a little dot for baptism. And then I put like a dot for discipleship. And I was kind of thinking like, okay, you know, as a church family, we want people to get saved. We want people to get baptized. We want people to get discipled. But really when you look at discipleship in scripture, after someone has determined to follow Jesus Christ, that line's not always very straight, is it? That line, and in fact, I drew this. I was like drawing it in my, and I had like a line for discipleship, basically going from discipleship to service and then to heaven. Like, well, that's like what everyone wants. But guess what? Not very many people in scripture's line is like this, just like this perfect line. You get into the discipleship and service area, and guess what? Everybody's line starts to look like this. Like it just looks like a squiggly line, doesn't it? A couple of weeks ago, we learned about Samson, okay? I actually saw this one time in, in our 11 o'clock service. We learned about Samson. I actually saw this one time to where someone had taken everyone's life that was mentioned in Scripture. Maybe not everyone, but like a lot of the key characters of Scripture. And they had drawn this straight line. And they had actually pinpointed on different spectrums whether or not that person was basically in the will of God or out of the will of God. And so when you were above the line, man, like you were up here, like God had told you what to do. God, had, like you were following God. You look at the life of Peter. Peter leaves his boat and he begins to follow Jesus Christ and he leaves everything. And all of a sudden you have this awesome disciple of Jesus Christ. But by the time you get to the crucifixion, it's like, <laughs> he's the guy denying God, Jesus Christ. He's saying, I don't know him. He's cursing him. Then you get to the book of Acts and guess what? He's the guy who preaches at Pentecost. Do you see how the line for everybody is so different? And so I actually have something in your notes to where I have that line for you. When we talk about your progress, let me just explain this to you. That after you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's nothing you can do to lose that salvation. And ultimately, we would love if everybody's line was just perfect. But guess what? You lose a job and there's probably some, a little bit of discouragement. You maybe date someone that you are super attracted to, but all of a sudden you get uh, your, you spend time dating them, and it's like, well, this isn't God's will. Maybe you start, you get something, maybe you get a job to where all of a sudden you're making a ton of money, you're working on Sundays, and, and you're away from God, okay? Those things happen. And ideally, the line would look like this, but the truth is, is that sometimes it just doesn't. That's life. But what God desires is progress. What God desires is growth. He says that you may abound more and more. And if your Christian life looks more like this since salvation, 
then let's take a moment and let's stop and let's pause and let's say, okay, since my salvation, if my line looks like this, what do I need to do to get my line to start creeping back up? What do I need to do so that I may begin to abound more and more? What do I need to eliminate? What do I need to add? What, who do I need to maybe break a relationship with? Who do I need to begin a relationship with? What do I need to that do? line is growing so that I can see that God is doing a work in my life. So how's your progress? And then fourthly is this. Not only is how's your progress, but then in verse number two, he says this, For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. He says, how's your obedience? How's your obedience? The commands of God do not go away after salvation. In fact, Jesus himself says in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. 1 John chapter number 2, verses 3 through 6, John writes this to young Christians in the uh, church of Ephesus. He says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, and him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. How's your obedience? Have you taken for granted the commands of Scripture? The blessings of God is directly linked to the obedience to God. I even see this with my own children. Their obedience brings blessings from their earthly father. Growing up, guess what? Your parents probably weren't too likely to go and buy you a new bike from Toys R Us. Toys R Us, rest in peace, okay? <laughs> but your f parents probably weren't too likely to go and buy you something, a bike at Toys R Us, when you had been rebellious and disobedient the whole week, were they? But if there was obedience, there was blessing. And if there was disobedience, there were consequences. And just because there's salvation, just because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's eternity, you can't have a relationship with God, doesn't disintegrate the commands of Scripture. And so the, how's your obedience? And then lastly, and I'll close with this, is how's your separation, or the way that Scripture words it, is your sanctification. He says this, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. This biblical word sanctification refers to our separation. And at the end of verse number 3, he goes into a specific form of separation in regards to fornication or a sexual lifestyle, okay? We'll talk about that next week. We were going to talk about it on Mother's Day. Didn't seem like an appropriate thing to talk about, okay? But here's what I want to, I want to do for just a second. I want to show you the biblical form of separation, Okay? I understand if you'll give me, or actually I think early, my watch is dead. Man. Hold on. Five minutes over. Thank you. Thank you. Five minutes over. <laughs> you just wanted to get out. You just want to go get an apple muffin. First um, John chapter number two, verse 15 says this, okay? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And then he goes into that the, that the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, okay? I understand that this generation struggles, the generation I'm speaking to, that's just broad brushing, okay? I don't like to do that, but let's just broad brush for just a second. I understand that the generation that I'm speaking to in this room struggles with the idea of separation, okay? 
but biblical separation is maybe not what you think it is. Biblical separation is a separation from the world to Jesus Christ, meaning this. It mirrors what you are experiencing in salvation. So when we talk about sanctification, you can't just rule out sanctification in Scripture, okay? It is a part of, the, it, according to 1 John chapter number 2 that we just read, that obedience and how you separate and how you live your life is a distinguishing qualifying uh, qualifier of the salvation that you have experienced in Jesus Christ. James says it, that as faith without works is dead, okay? We understand that works is not what gets us to heaven, but we also understand that if you have a faith living inside of you, you're going to have works. I have a wedding ring, okay? That is an outward display of a relationship that I have with a spouse, okay, with my wife. But guess what? This wedding ring means nothing if I don't love her, if I don't cherish her, if I don't nurture her, if I don't take care of her, if I don't do things to meet her needs, okay? This is worthless. The same is worthless of a faith without works, or if you want to use the words that we're using here, of salvation without sanctification, okay? So biblical sanctification looks like this. If we say that the world is over here, okay, here's, our, here's the world, okay? Here is sin, for lack of a better term. Here is things that we know are against Scripture. Here are things that are unbiblical. These are lifestyles. These are maybe uh, motives. These are uh, just flat-out sin. Here's your Ten Commandments, okay? This is the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, okay? That's what the world represents. Over here is Jesus Christ, okay? This is Jesus Christ. You can put a cross here in your mind, whatever you want to do. This is Christ, okay? When we talk about separation, sometimes what we like to do is we like to say, okay, well, I'm separating from the world, and so I'm not going to... I need to give myself more space, okay? Here's the world. Christ is, like, lined up right here, okay? I'm separating here, so I'm not going to do this. Did you separate from the world, yes or no? Thank you, all two of you. Come on, this section. I'm right beside you, all right? Let's try it again. The world is here. Christ is there. I'm not going to do this, so I'm going to do this. So did I separate from the world, yes or no? Yes. Good job. Thank you, all right? And so what do we do? I'm not going to do this. I'm already out of room. I took too big of a step, all right? I'm not going to do this, so now I'm going to do this, okay? I'm not going to do this, so now I'm going to do this. Am I separating myself from the world, yes or no? Yes, the world's back there. Look, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I'm doing this. I'm separating myself from the world. And if we're not careful, sorry, you too, but you're probably going to lose me for just a second. If we're not careful, we'll separate all the way over to here. Are we separated from the world? Yeah. But we've put ourselves on an island. To where now our separation, yeah, we're separate from the world, but really we haven't gotten any closer to Jesus Christ. We've gone all the way over here to where now we look like some weird sect cult thing that was like, well, I'm separate from the world. Yeah, you're right. Congratulations. But you are no closer to Jesus Christ. When biblical separation says this, Biblical separation says, okay, this is something that is hurting my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's something that's worldly. It's something that's carnal. It's something that maybe is even sinful. And so I'm going to eliminate it from my life. Did I separate from the world? Yes. Did I come closer to Jesus Christ? Yes. So now we can maybe take the exact same things that we use to get ourselves over here and we can say, okay, this is biblical separation. Let me give you one snapshot of what that looks like, okay? 
If I'm in the world and all of a sudden I recognize that my television is probably a big waste of time, it's causing me to watch things that are ungodly, it's sinful, it's awful, it's whatever, okay? It takes up too much space on my mantle, whatever your reasoning is, okay? So you say, I'm not going to have a television in my life, okay? That's probably not a terrible decision, okay? And so all of a sudden you say, I'm not going to have a television in my life, and you say, okay, I'm eliminating that from my life. But if you go around now and you say, I got rid of my television. Look at me. I'm a good person. (laughs) You need to get rid of, if you don't get rid of your television, you're wrong. You're not right with God. There's a problem with you. Look Look at me. Look at what I, I did this, I did this. Okay, yes, you've eliminated possibly something that was hurting you. But you have now used what has separated you from the world to make yourself look good. So now we've got a bigger problem, okay? Now we're making ourselves the goal. Now you are no longer becoming like Christ. You're becoming like Joel. Forget being made in the image of God. You are becoming like me. And if you can get as good as me, then you'll be close to Christ. That's not the point. When the biblical goal of separation is this. My television is some sort of a downfall for me. And so you know what I'm going to do? The Bible says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Psalm 101, verse 3. I'm going to, eliminate, I'm going to take my television away. I'm going, to, I'm going to choose to do that because I have the freedom to do that, because it is helping me. I realize that this is becoming a problem in my life, and so I'm going to eliminate it. And instead, I'm going to replace that time that I spent on Netflix, and I'm going to say, I'm going to give myself an extra 30 minutes in God's Word every night before I go to bed. Guess what? You just separated from the world and you, had, you did it in a manner to where you love not the world, neither things that are in the world, as 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says. And you've done it in a way to where now you've made a step closer to Jesus Christ. And when we bulk at separation in the Christian life, what we're ultimately doing and what we probably all would say we have a problem with is we're bulking at this separation. Sorry, I wasn't going to step on your toes, I promise. We're bulking at this separation and basically saying, well, because of so-and-so, then I'm not going to do that. When ultimately, when you look at it, Jesus Christ does not preach that separation. What he preaches is this separation. Does that make sense? You can't eliminate it just because you don't like it or just because it showed up in a way that maybe you don't agree with. But what you can do is you can come back to Scripture and you can say, what does Jesus Christ ask of me? And according to 1 John chapter number 2, 1 John chapter number 1, John chapter number 14, John chapter number 15, John chapter number 17, you can go to all of those places. You can go to Romans, you can go to Ephesians, you can go to many books of Scripture to where this form of separation is not taught, but this form of separation is taught. So let me ask you the question. How's your separation? Not this separation, but this separation. To where you can step back and you can say, yes, I've separated from the world. But I'm not separating from the world to make myself look good. I'm separating from the world because I want to have a walk with Jesus Christ. I don't want anything to be between me and God. And so if my TV is my downfall, then I'm going to get rid of my TV. If my smartphone is my downfall, then I'm going to get rid of my smartphone. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to get rid of that. If I'm attracting attention to myself, then I'm going to change this. If I'm, whatever it may be, if money is my problem, then I'm going to do this. 
It's not a separation to an island. It's a separation away from the world to Jesus Christ. I want you to look at 1 John chapter number 2, verse 15, and we'll be done. It's in your notes. I've already quoted it for you, but I want you to see the following verses. He says, Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all the world, the lust of the flesh, he defines it, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Don't fall into the trap of Christianity to where you just say, well, abounding more and more, I thought that was just for my money. I thought that was just for my relationships. I thought that was just for whatever. You fill in the blank. Would to God that every person in this room who along life's journey you're trying to abound more and more in your relationships, you're trying to abound more and more in your finances, you're trying to abound more and more in your physical fitness, okay? That's a joke, alright? Um, but would to God that every single one of us in this room that is trying to abound more and more in every other area of our life would stop for just a second and would say, I also want to abound more and more in my Christian life. How's your walk? Who or what are you seeking to please? How's your progress? How's your obedience? And how's your separation? Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.